the well of success had dried out for our next guest. His already successful company was meeting an end. It was an existential moment. They needed to raise another round. All the numbers looked great, but they were looking at doom right in the face. His story today could have been very different if it weren't for somebody who helped with nothing to gain. Fred Bastien is an impressive founder, my next guest, and here's Fred's tale of human helpfulness. Hey, Fred. Hey, mate, how are you? Not bad, not bad. It's been a, what, like a few days since we chatted. Indeed. <laughs> so welcome to the pod. It's, uh, it's all about helpfulness. And I, I love how we get to see each other often in like board meetings and committee <laughs> meetings. And like this kind of conversation happens like rarely between exactly. us. Exactly. We're typically so. very focused on the job at hand, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So dude, for the folks who don't know you, would love it if you like introduce yourself to uh, tell everybody a little bit about sure. yourself. Well, I'm Fred, Fred Bastien. I'm, I guess, a geek and techie at ours. Spent the last 25 years in, in tech. Today, I am an investor in technology companies, raising a new venture cap fund called Admiral. But I guess this is new for me. This is, about, I guess, a new, a new phase of my career in the sense that for the last 10, 12 years, I've been running startups, starting companies and, and running startups, the last one in the AI space. And uh, after the, the exit in 2019, I decided that I'll jump on the dark side of, of the venture world. I mean, without that dark side, a lot of companies won't really exist. Well, exactly. And I think the whole funding investment chain needs to be healthy if we want to have a successful ecosystem, right? So. Angels are important and early stage funds are important and the government needs to play its role and the private equity folks need to play their role. So, so that's, that's absolutely needed. I love it. Like I have so many questions about your funds, but you and I get to chat often. So like, I want to go with the premise of the, of the podcast. Would love for you to tell us a story about when times were tough, when a lending hand came and helped you out of it. Sure. Well, there are obviously a number of situations like that in both personal and professional life, right? But I'll, if I had to pick one that for me was mostly, mostly significant, it was in my last company. So it's about, uh, I'd say it's in 27. So think about this. We were, we had raised a very successful series A in 2015. We're growing. We're in a space that had a lot of hype right? Artificial intelligence 2017. And we were getting ready to raise a new round of funding. And honestly, this is probably the, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, right? The ability to build a story in the KPIs and kind of the whole, the whole rationale around the kind of round that would bring us to the next stage when you're in Montreal competing with the Silicon Valley giants. That was really, really hard. And I can tell you, we were a good six months doing kind of tens and tens of pitches a week without getting somewhere. So I'd say me and one of my key partners there at Nubo, that was the name of the company. At some point we were thinking, geez, are we going to have to abandon this thing, right? Because it's just not coming true. And on top of that. None of the Canadian investment firms would, would step up to the challenge, right? So you end up having to fundraise outside of Canada, which means being on the plane all the time. 
away from your family, three kids, right? So that was really, really hard. And and when you when you get into that that circle, you end up working nonstop. So which means you don't sleep well, which means you don't eat well, and and the whole and you start you start doing sports and the whole kind of downward spiral just just kicks exactly what the textbooks are telling you not to do to run a company like you need to think about yourself first and be and be performant as an individual outside of work so you can be good in your work but when this kind of situation happens it's, it's kind of the opposite right you you just you just go down that 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 spiral so that was definitely the hardest time in my career i guess the the thing that or the, the the person that helped us in this time. I mean, several people helped us. Obviously, we didn't. We ended up raising a very successful Series B, and but it, it just took a lot more time and a lot more effort. And obviously, a ton of people helped us along the way. But I can say, and that's a story I, I tell sometimes. There's one person that had no interest. Right? He was not on the cap table. He was not about to invest in the company. He was just. A person from the ecosystem that probably is single-handedly the person who helped me the most in 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 those seven years running that company. Right? And so this, this guy is called J.S. Cornway. He was one of the founder of Real Ventures. He's still there. And I don't know exactly what his motives were. Right? Basically, he's always been there to help. And when our B round was not happening. Obviously, we were two later stage for real. He was not on our cap table from previous rounds, but he spent so much time helping me refine the pitch, kind of build the story a little bit, make intros, try to be creative and out of the box thinking about other, another optionality I could build around trying to get that, this term sheet for a B round. So anyway, like it's... Pretty impressive. To this day, I still, I use that as an example of what I want to do with, with companies, right? Because we definitely did this just in an effort to help another guy in the ecosystem. I can tell you're doing that for Ionodes right now. Like I'm, I have firsthand experience in like how far you're going. While we're trying, I think I've had my fair share of success, but you don't have that alone, never, right? So, so it's always... Because uh, you have co-founders helping you, you have family around, you have colleagues, you have non-colleagues like JS. And when you get to the end of your startup story, you think, geez, like without this ecosystem around, I would not have made it. And so it's time to give back. I have a hard time saying no to get involved with a company, but then you also want to go deep and help that for reals. That's always a balance. But yes, as you say, like I knows and others, when I get involved, I try to be very involved. Do you see this as a common thing across the industry? Like I'm assuming JS had no position in no, your cap table. Exactly. No, it's not common. I think the, the, the Montreal startup ecosystem, everyone knows everyone, right? And, and it's a very small and tight knit. Uh, community. So yes, people tend to help. I don't think that's different from any other ecosystem, right? And Kitchener Waterloo is the same and you know, the Valley is the same and so on. But I don't feel, maybe that's my opinion, but I don't feel like it's common for someone on the investment side of the ecosystem to help a company that they're not 
part of. Right? There's there's a little bit of guarding your cards and 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 like focusing your time on your portfolio. And so no, I I didn't feel this was common. I mean, none other VCs that weren't on the cap table helped me. Right. So so it it was not common. And I was talking to everyone there. So the Series B investors yeah. that you had, they they come from recommendations from previous investors you just mentioned that probably not much or like JS himself how did that whole came to be or was it basically you were well yeah well I was getting in trolls from all sides right we probably met a hundred VCs right easily right so yes I was getting in trolls from from JS from other people from my existing investors in the end we got a term sheet from a Silicon Valley fund that was introduced to us by an existing investor. That's how we we ended up closing that nice round and we were oversubscribed and all was good. It's this unfortunate Canadian venture ecosystem and we're, we're still in the space where unless you have an American VC give you a, a term sheet, no one is ready to jump in, right? But once you have it, Oh, geez, everyone wants to chip in and then you end up oversubscribed with all the institutionals. And it's still the case today. I think that's one of the reasons we're starting Amaral is to lead rounds with, with private money that is from here, right? So that's, that's a sad situation, but it's, it was a reality for us is we needed to go get a U.S. term sheet. So yeah, you alluded to, the, to how you want to change the behavior you're, you're describing. Can you elaborate? Sure. I'll focus on Quebec, right? Because it's closer to home here, but there are many, many, many options to get pre-seed and seed funding, right? And some fantastic funds. On the other end of the spectrum, you have also very deep pocketed private equity or institutional investors. If you need a broad round, if you need a 30 million, 40 million round, then, then you got but very, very solid players. So there's a bit of a gap in between, right? What we call series A, B. And although several investors want to chip in, whether they're banks, institutions, and others, they're typically not leading routes. And, and obviously there are exceptions to that, right? I know they're doing a fantastic job and White Star is doing a fantastic job, but like two funds is not enough, right? So, so basically the idea here is, is what prevents those bigger investors to lead rounds at series AB is a lack of typically expertise and experience because these are not companies that have like supervisionary founder, good idea, not, not yet a lot of revenue and they ju you just need to bet on the idea and the people. It's when you invest at series AB, it's about the execution. How do you scale sales outside of Canada? How do you build a leadership team? How do you basically start selling where where the founder is not involved in the, in, in the cycle anymore. And how do you kind of use your data as a competitive mode, use it to raise the bar for your competitors. And these type of things that happen in that scale up the factor, pure financial in, in, investors are, are, are not comfortable necessarily with it. They haven't necessarily rolled up their sleeves and done it. Why they are trying to get a private fund with expertise to lead the round. And then they're, they're super good co-investors. And so at Amaral, this is, this is the thesis, right? Says we're gonna, we're gonna always lead uh, funding rounds. And obviously the 
I have fantastic partners in um, the business, but we're also hiring a team that we call the impact team that is not going to be um, focused on investment. They'll be focused on creating value in the portfolio companies post investment. And I think that's how we try to change the paradigm a little bit and, and do this with a very strong focus on what I, I can call Canadian dynamism, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen the end recent paper on American dynamism and trying to invest on technologies that have the U.S. national interest at heart. Like we can think about something similar for Canada in terms of what pieces of technology will help our economy in Canada. And, and that's one of the bases for our enterprise tech kids. So you mentioned the impact team. This is just a personal interest of mine. For a brief period, not only I, I was a co-founder of a, of a VC fund that's still running, I just left. We started a platform company for VCs, noticing that they're usually liked on actively creating value for the, for the founders, whether it's like there's a lot of avenues for it. I would love to hear what kind of values are you uh, hoping to create for the founders and how? There's, again, this is yeah. just a personal interest well, of mine. We have a system, I should like call it a system. We have a framework, let's say, let's put it this way, where we've identified the 12 areas that the 12 challenges that, let's say, scale up founders or C-suite teams have when they get to that inflection point, right? They're three to five million revenue and need to need to take the trajectory to the 10, 20, 50 million, right? That framework, we won't be able to address it in our first spot, right? Because it's 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 too big of a of a command. And, but but if you look at funds like Georgian and, and Toronto, they they address the full cycle, right? And they're the inspiration for us. So in our first fund, we've identified three areas of uh, those 12 that we feel bring the most immediate value or immediate bang for the buck. And those are kind of international sales go-to-market leadership team, basically making sure you, you have, because it's not just a CEO, CTO type, type job anymore. So how do you surround the founders with the right leadership and monetizing data and IP. So I'm seeing a ton of companies that kind of reach three, four, five million in AOR, sit on a lot of data and they're not monetizing it. And that comes from obviously my background in AI. So, so these, these three areas are those we're going to be staffing within as of from our management fees, right? This is not something we're going to charge to, to the enterprises, but that framework, I mean, one of our partners has spent a decade in value creation for these type of companies. So, so there's a pretty elaborate framework built around it on how you go from strategy to execution. Because when you invest in, the, in a company at that stage, I would say at every stage, but especially at that stage, you need a plan. You need, you need, you need a strategic plan on what do you expect to achieve in what order and to reach what KPIs with objectives, right? And translating the strategy into execution is the hardest so that, that's what we're, we're here to help. I love it. Building an executive team right at that point, I've uh, found to be the toughest thing for the founder. It's like, not only do they have to give up control, they have to scale themselves. You, you hit those like glass ceilings of like, I'm not delegating that well, or our documentation is not great, or like information doesn't propagate through the company that yeah, easily. No, absolutely. And typically it's 
these companies are, uh, I'd say like 50, 70 ish employees. This is when you start losing control, right? Because up to 35, 40 people, you can safely say the CEO knows everyone, knows their the significant others, name of their dogs and all of that. But when you cross that threshold is when yeah, the shit hits the fan. And now you need other leaders in the company that will that would bring the culture, will perpetrate the culture, but also evolve it to where it needs to be. I love it. I feel like we can talk yeah, about Yeah, and with diversion. Like, this is still on topic for me because it's how you can help that is non-tangible. These are bits, unless you're willing to help, you're not going to actually come up and be like, hey, yeah. you should talk with these folks. Or this is maybe maybe something and you should change. I mean, we're standing like, on the like, shoulders of giants, right? If you look at in 2005, 2006, there was no startup ecosystem here. It was inexistent, right? So we were talking about GS earlier, the Real Ventures guy, they built it from scratch. So obviously we have to get inspired by that and just continue the job. Yeah, talking about JS, I, I was in Ottawa at that time, the time frame you're talking about. And I remember they had just raised a small fund, I think it was fund one or fund two, but it had to only be in Quebec. And like Ottawa has this like thin border and like this gas, you know, it's like you can actually go be in Quebec. So they were, they, they came to Ottawa quite a bit and they got to know them. There was a lot of like real or founder fuel companies that were yeah. actually just, just moved their office to get to know and yeah. then like they're operating. But yeah, they kind of started our ecosystem. They kind of like ignited. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of influence they had on outside of the province here, but like here for sure, they were the pioneer. I love it. So Fred, one question to leave us with. What kind of help are you always willing to give that maybe folks don't know or they don't come to you as often as they should? That's a really good question. I think there's, there's obvious stuff, right? Like, okay, business, business help and funding help and all of that. But I think I'm always interested to talk to other entrepreneurs and, and colleagues on how they manage their work and, and personal life balance. Not a, a topic that you typically go and ask someone like, hey, help me, I, I can't manage, manage these two things. But I think having been through this and suffered, uh, it's an area that if someone comes to me and, and tells me, hey, I have a hard time managing and balancing this, I'll always be open to help because I know how devastating it can be if you, if you screw it up. I love that you said it because that's literally one of my biggest worries right <laughs> now. Like, I'm not a balanced type person. Like I always joke that technically being on the extreme ends of the same spectrum is balanced. You don't, you don't tip over. That's kind of the balance I keep. But as you know, I'm about to start a family and a lot of anxieties are coming in. It's like, what? Like, you can't stay up late and answer emails. Like That's not a thing anymore. How do you stay exactly. sane and still get some stuff done? Exactly. And, and you know, what I've learned after the fact is when you impose on yourself having a healthy balance, then you become an example to the rest of the company, right? And every, everyone becomes healthier, right? Because the example you set as a leader is so important. And if they get emails from you at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and then you set some kind of precedent and pressure across the company. And again, Having penalty employees will will never be good for a company. Absolutely. I'm going to pick your brain soon. I'm saying that as if I'm an expert, but no, I'm still struggling with it, right? Obviously, I'm. we, we all tend to be a bit more colleagues. So 
I'm struggling with it, but because I've been through the, the bad side of it, I, I think, I guess I'm more conscious about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, honestly, your experience, especially in this topic that I don't know anybody who's got it really down would be like super helpful. Well, so, Fred, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Morning. Like, I love the stories you shared. Thanks for writing. Oh, glad to have you. And we'll see you in the next Absolutely. meeting meeting. Okay. Have Cheers, a good day. Man.